Lord, for David Limbaugh, who is a very strong believer. And so, Lord, that you would just be with that family and comfort him. And, Lord, for Helen and Bill as they go through their trials, Lord, as well as Gil and Pam. And those, Lord, that we don't know that are affected and suffering as we will see tonight. And so, Lord, we just pray for those affected by the storms through our country. And, Lord, what an opportunity to share the good news and the hope that is in Jesus Christ, not in a political party or in an ideology, but in you. And so, Lord, we thank you again for our night. Thank you, Lord, that we bring this message still over the radio and over the Internet. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 5. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Hebrews chapter 5, keep your place there, but we will back up into the last chapter, into chapter 4, verse 14, is where we'll pick it up. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. No chapter breaks in the original. Where did I go? Next chapter, sorry. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, and that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. For he has compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to that weakness. And because of this, He is required, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And so also Christ did not glorify himself and to become the high priest, but it was he who said of himself, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also said in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. And having been made perfected, He became the author and the eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Clear as a bell. I don't know what we're... Let's just go to the next chapter. Okay. The writer is... Let's do a review. He is encouraging those Hebrews who have accepted Christ but are on the verge of going back going back to their religious system, going back to the life that they knew before. And he is warning them not to do that. Jesus is better than the angels, remember that? He's going to be better than everything. And now he starts down the path 
of that Jesus is better than the high priest, not only of the high priest, but of the order of Aaron. And what the writer is going to do is he is greater than that because he is of a different order than Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood. Now, that was a big deal because everything revolved around the priest. Did you see that? And he is going to build this thing. But in the middle of his thought, he stops and he's going to say, you guys are a bunch of dull people. I can't even go further into this topic because you have regressed so far back that I've got to teach you the basic things of the faith again. So that's where we are tonight. Paul will start out and tell us that for every high priest taken among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The first qualification in the Aaronic priesthood was that they had to be chosen among men. But what's most important is that you needed to come from Aaron's line. If you did not come from Aaron's line, you could not be the high priest. Now, it's kind of like a no-brainer here, but the writer says that he has to be a man, that he was appointed to act for men in relation to God. And all of this is pointing to Jesus, that there was a mediator between man and God. That, That mediator was the priest in the Old Testament. And now the New Testament says we have this mediator that is Christ, that is Jesus. It is a, it's a picture and a type, and that what, that's what the writer is trying to accomplish. He's trying to say, look what God did in the Old Testament to point your attention to Jesus, but now you want to go back to the Old Testament. Again, it doesn't make sense. So therefore, in a minute, he goes, you guys are dull. You're lazy. You have got to the place of complacency in your walk. So let's go back to the ABCs, he's going to tell us. But note with me one of the principal functions of the high priest. It was to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. What did Jesus come to do ultimately? Was it to tell us the Beatitudes? I mean, that's that's bonus, that's gravy. But it was to die for our sins. He became the ultimate sacrifice. And so the writer continues and he says that this human priest that was appointed for men, he says, so that he, verse 2, would have compassion on those who were ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. The writer wants to get our attention on that the high priest was not to be above anybody. There wasn't to be this permanent class. And again, that is sadly what happened to the church. When we get to the seven letters to the seven churches, hopefully in about a month from now, a couple of weeks, I don't know. We'll see how far it takes us to get through chapter one. But as we start to die through these seven letters, we're going to see church history play out. And one of the first things that started to show itself inside of the church was this ecclesiastic order or what we would consider a priestly order or a group of people that, well, Jesus will call them, they lorded over the people. Do you know that it didn't take them long to have special dress 
just like the priest? Remember, this was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was doing. He was the high priest, and now the church has started to have their pastors or their leaders or their elders or their bishops start to dress differently than the common people. And that is not what God wanted at all. He didn't want a group of people that could not notice, sympathize. Notice he says that we leaders are to have compassion on those who are ignorant. Can I share something with you? How many of you have ever been frustrated with another Christian when they did something stupid? Okay, everyone in the room should be raising their hands. You look at someone and you go, what are you doing? And have you ever got mad at them? Don't show your hand then. And you go, gosh, I don't understand them. Please listen. God doesn't have the emotion that we have. Can we all say amen to that? He doesn't go off the rails like we go off the rails. He is long-suffering, slow to anger. Aren't those the greatest qualities of God? Thank you. So he allows, because he knows what he's working with, sheep who will do and go astray. And what the high priest's job was to say, okay, come here, little dumb sheep. I mean, not really like to his face, but, you know, and bring them back into the fold and love on them. Not to bring a heavy judgment upon them. Not from the pulpit to point them out and say, Bill, you better knock off that drinking. That was just an example. Uh, That wasn't Bill. Notice, to have compassion on those who are ignorant. They just don't know. They just don't know yet. Since he himself, I love this, is subject to weakness. The sad thing that would started to happen in church history, and even today, I've met these people who think that they don't sin anymore. Have you been in traffic? Down by the beach? Have you ever been on customer service for couple of hours, we, we all go through these issues. And as believers, we are to encourage one another. And the high priest was supposed to do that. And aren't we thankful that we have this high priest? Do you see he ties from the last chapter to this chapter? Notice, because of this, verse 3, he is required, as for the people, so for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. The high priest, before he went into the temple, he had to sacrifice for himself and confess everything because if he went into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain only one time a year and he did not confess his sin, he would be dead. So, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, Lord, uh, whatever I've done, uh, I just want to name it and get it out there and confess everything. But notice, even the priest had to do that. But Jesus doesn't do that. We'll see that. Without sin, we saw. And notice, no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God. This role that God instituted in the Old Testament was something that only God called. So too today, as we're going to see at the end of this chapter, 
all are called to teach. Not all are called in a pulpit ministry, but everybody has something to share. But this specific high priest role, it was God who called, and notice, just as Aaron was. Guys, Aaron was the most unlikely candidate for high priest in the Old Testament. Anybody know what Aaron did? One of my favorite lines in all the Bible. Moe's up on the mountain, 40 days. <laughs> At some point, God says, uh, Moses, you got to go down. Your people are just having a huge rave party, and it's not going to go well, and I'm pretty much going to blow them up. And so he goes down, and he sees everybody, and he goes to Aaron, and he says, Aaron, what are you doing? He goes, well, let me explain about that calf over there. What had happened was, Everybody gave me their gold. I put it into the pot and out popped this calf. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. The lamest excuse of all time. And yet, who is the high priest? It's Aaron. The most unlikely candidate was Aaron. Why? Because the Bible tells us he was called by God. Would we not agree that Aaron becomes the most humblest guy at that point. Yeah, I blew it. I made a golden calf. Can anyone say that? This guy made a golden calf, and yet he is the guy that God called on. Would we not agree that Saul of Tarsus was not our best choice for apostle of the year or decade? And yet he wrote most of the New Testament, didn't he? Don't you love how the most unlikely candidates are the ones that God used the most? Because they know what God has done for them. Again, we're privileged to be a part of Calvary Chapel, and I will tell you that most of the Calvary Chapel pastors, we all know this. We are called by God. We don't want to get into this job. I remember my pastor sitting me down and said, Ron, I think God has a call upon your life to be a pastor. And I was thinking to myself, all right, you know, like an assistant or something. But he goes, no, 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 I think you're going to have to leave us someday. And do what? <laughs> you're going to have to have your own church. Man, listen, I, I speak to all the pastors who are in my position. They know what I'm talking about. They didn't ask for this. God brought it to them. These are the examples, and the apostles are the great examples of that. If God can use Peter, he can use us. We all have a role to play in the body of Christ, and it's a wonderful part. The Bible says that we must all do our part. And so, verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So the father calls him out and calls him his high priest, is what we will learn. Now listen, we're going to go on a journey that will not end tonight, but it will end in the next couple of chapters with this topic of Melchizedek. This, This character in the Old Testament that Abraham came in contact with after a a great battle. 
We're not going to get into it tonight. But the writer wants to get into it with the people that he is writing to, but he realizes they are just not going to get it. Why? Because, listen, they don't know their Bible anymore. They've become, well, as we'll see, lazy hearers. But he starts down this path here in verse 5 and 6, and he says, listen, I've called my son out from a special priesthood. Remember, what tribe is Jesus from? Anybody? The tribe of Judah. He is not from the tribe of Levite, which would not allow him to be a priest. So the writer is saying, because think about this. When the writer is saying that Jesus is the high priest, they don't get that. How is that possible? He's not even from the the tribe of, of Aaron, let alone is he a Levite. He's from Judah. And you're telling us that he's greater than Aaron? How is that possible? Do you see where he is? he's going to take us now? So rather than being from the high priest and from a line of Aaron, he says that he is a priest, notice verse 6, forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Look, we're not even going to talk about it tonight. Amen? Just like, whoo, okay. Because listen, the writer's going to say it's even a difficult topic if you're paying attention. I would agree. I've taught this many times. And even when I get to this, I'm like, I think I got most of it. But some of it is still difficult to understand. We're not going to get into it tonight. Verse 7 says, who in the days of his flesh, that's Jesus, when he was offered up, offered up prayers and supplications, uh, remember this was in the Garden of Gethsemane, with vehement cries and tears to God, his Father, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. This this phrase obedience is important. It's not that Jesus was disobedient in anything. It just means that he showed his obedience by what he did. And what did he do? It says it in the last part of the verse. Something that you and I don't like to read. Did you see that? It starts with an S. Oh. Are you telling me that we learn obedience by suffering? Just like Jesus. We don't like the topic of suffering in the United States of America. We don't like that at all. We don't like it in the church. We don't want to talk about it. We We just want to live in our comfy little American Christian life. But all around the world for 2,000 years, Christians have been suffering and being obedient to God in the suffering that they are in. I am a huge fan. I know not all of you are, but I encourage you to become this a huge fan of history, and more specifically, Christian history, more specifically, Christian suffering, learning the men and women that have gone before us, Fox's Book of Martyrs, Jim Elliott, and the list goes on and on, Bonhoeffer, all of these men and women that have suffered for the name of Christ, and what brought them to that close relationship was the suffering because God was with them, Christ was with them. My, my mind just went blank. Romanian pastor, what was his name, Wendy? 
who suffered, who, who was the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. Oh, it stinks both being us 50. We'll get it to you later. We'll get it. He was tortured every single day for like 18 years. She's going to look it up. This is the power of, and then she'll text it to me. Oh, I just told you my secret. You know those guys that used to have earpieces in as they preached and then he called out some guy's name? I don't do that. I use the iPad. Oh, you're doing that? Oh, repent later. You know, that kind of thing. Huh? Yeah, Wormbrand. Thank you. Just throw them out. Let's throw anything out, then we'll pick which one it is. He was tortured every day, suffered. And yet his faith in how many people he encouraged through communism in Romania, tortured through his suffering, he grew closer to God. Not only that, but then he establishes Voice of the Martyrs. Listen, I, I, I know we don't like verse 8. We like to take it out. But it's there. He learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. We too, when we go through trials and tribulations, and when we are obedient to God, notice what is the result? Having been made per- perfect. No, perfected doesn't mean that you're perfect, it means that you're maturing in your walk with God. As we suffer, we mature, we grow stronger, we remember. So that the next time it comes around, we remember what God did for us. You see, a kid doesn't remember. He just keeps crying as we're going to see. But somebody that's mature goes, oh, I've been here before. Notice, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him. How beautiful. And called by God as a high priest again the order of Melchizedek. So at this point, he goes, oh, he realizes what he is doing, what the writer is doing. And he now, let's read these verses, we'll come back, these four verses. Of whom, the order of Melchizedek, we have much to say. Uh, And it's hard to explain. Why? Because you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time... You ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles or the ABCs of God, and you would become to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. We're going to see what that word babe means in a minute. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That's maturity. That is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now listen to the writer here. He's very excited to point people to Jesus in this new order of Melchizedek, which is not the Aaronic priesthood. And he goes, wait a minute, put the brakes on of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. This explains why the writer doesn't go into the topic of Melchizedek right away. He wants to address some critical basic problems that are going on in their life. This is 
one of the third main warnings inside of the book of Hebrews. It's a warning for us tonight about being dull. So he pauses and he says, listen, I can't explain things to you because they are hard to explain because you have gone down this path. He would love to continue with the subject of Christ and Melchizedek, the priesthood, but he can't. He is under divine constraint to rebuke his readers for their immaturity and at the same time warn them seriously against the danger of falling away. Now, this has been his topic about falling away, and part of falling away is becoming dull. Did you get that? (laughs) Dull to the hearing of the Word of God. One writer said it this way, it's sadly true that our um, apprehension of divine truth is limited by our own spiritual condition. Dull ears cannot receive deep truths. How often is it true of us and of many of disciples that the Lord has many things to say to us, but we cannot bear them? Even Jesus said that in John 16, verse 12. And so now the writer says simply, listen, you're going on a backward journey. You're drifting from the word. You're doubting the word. And now you're dull to the word. Did you see that? How many times has he warned us through this book? They did not have the attitude of the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, For this cause we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word which you heard from us, you received it not as the word of men, but of the truth of the word of God, which effectively works in you to those who believe. Do you see the difference here? The Thessalonians were excited to hear the word, and it transformed them. But the writer now is writing to this group, and he says, I can't even go into that, let alone talk to you guys about end times. So his fears of taking them through this Aaronic and Melchizedek uh, discussion, he goes, I got to stop. Notice what it says, being dull of hearing. Dull of hearing is not a problem with the ears. It's a problem with the heart, the writer says. You aren't just really interested in what God has to say anymore. You're not wanting to hear the word of God. You don't want him to point out anything wrong in your life. No show of hands. You're here on a Wednesday night. Kudos for you. I'm, li- I'm talking to all you on the camera. Or those who are listening. You're driving. Has the word became dull to you? I've had people tell me that. I really don't feel like, you know, this is what I love to hear. Uh, well, you know, that section today, or have you ever said that pastor was dull? Now, listen, <laughs> not of me, of course. You could have the dullest brief. Listen, there was a guy, G. Campbell Morgan, in England, one of my favorite old-time dead teachers. Do you know when he taught, he never looked up from his notes? How dull is that? Never having contact with you at all? And yet his his commentaries, his messages are some of the most powerful I've ever heard. But people would call him dull. Call his message dull. 
It's not engaging. It's not a lie. The, the problem is not with the teacher. The problem is with the hearer. How is your heart? It's the same thing I hear about worship. Guys, I have been, my wife and I, we, we've been in a um, Roman Catholic church sitting there worshiping God. I forgot where we were. Was it Israel? I don't know. Hungary? Somewhere. Germany? Maybe. Um, it's not the music. It's the individual. So when the writer says you're dull, <laughs> you have become dull. Listen, I've called you guys many things. And tonight, are you dull of hearing? Have you become dull to the things of God? How do we hear the word of God? Now, that word dull is interesting in the Greek. It means lazy. Are you lazy? Was there a time that you were excited about the word of God and now it's become dull? The writer says that is a red flag for you because if this is becoming boring to you, that's a red flag. Because as we learned, this book is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm pretty sure we learned that last week. This book is alive. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is always with our hearts. Have we become lazy? Do we not read it like we used to? Is there not a fervor of the reading of God's word? When you open up your one-year Bible and you... The page says Leviticus, not again. Or you get to the, the genealogies. You know, guys, God loved everyone in those genealogies. It's still God's word. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the ABCs of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. According to the time that they have been followers of Jesus, they should have been much more mature than they were. That's what the writer says. Now, let's give them all five years that they have been believers. This isn't a new one. So when he says a babe in the next verse, that's not a babe in, we call them a babe in Christ. Oh, they're just new believers. These are believers that have been believers for a while. And the writer says, by this time, there is an important sense in which every Christian must be a teacher. Now, He uses these illustrations of, of milk and of meat and of childhood, of immaturity and maturity, right? What is one of the hardest things to teach your kids? Now, I'll just give it to you. Stephanie's got a list, probably. It is to teach them to share. And what the writer says is you guys are lazy about the word of God and you have a sharing problem when it comes to the word of God. You see, 
what will, what will solve your dullness of hearing is sharing the Word of God. It's really simple. There's always a fix right in front of our eyes. The ability to share spiritual truth with others is a mark of maturity. I mean, do, do you not praise the little kid who shares on his own that cupcake, that cookie, that whatever? And as they learn sharing, <laughs> I mean, you, you share, little Bobby, you got to share. You got to share, Susie. You, as they learn that and grow into that, as a parent, you're pretty excited. So too, God is. Doesn't God love to hear when we talk about him to other people? Again, one of the hardest lessons children must learn is the lesson of sharing. The recipients of this letter have been saved long enough to be able to share God's truth with others. But instead of helping others grow, these Hebrew Christians were in need of learning again the simple teachings of the Christian life. They were experiencing a second childhood. Now listen, he's going to talk about milk and meat, right? Milk's fine for a toddler, but not for a 35-year-old, right? Kind of weird, isn't it? But he says, you've been saved long enough. Now, he is not talking about what I do, which is the pulpit ministry. It's a senior pastor ministry. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about every single one of us in the room that has been uh, a believer long enough to experience the goodness, to taste and see that the Lord is good, and, and experience this Christian life and to be able to share with somebody else. Everyone in the room should be able to sit down and teach another human being about Jesus. And if you can't, you might be falling into this category of the dull hearer or somebody that is still on the milk. I find it fascinating that we live in a time in which the senior pastor seems to be the guy who does it all. Pretty soon we'll be having a, another foundations class. We weren't able to do that last year because of oh, the government. But that class, if you're new to our church for about a year, is the best class to take. 14 weeks of a basic, we call it the new believers class, but it's not for new believers. It's just for those who want to have Notice, again, these ABCs to be fed, and then you'll start learning to eat the meat. We get into different doctrines as well. So when you see that, please sign up for it if you haven't already taken that class. Notice how he says, to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, that you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only, did you see that? Only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So, the writer says, what are you feeding on? Is it just milk? Now, I don't know about you, but as an adult, I love a very cold glass of milk every once in a while. Perhaps there's a graham cracker involved, or an Oreo, or ice cream. <laughs> Something is involved with that, but 
every once in a while, and I'm not talking about that watered-down skim stuff. I'm talking about whole cow D stuff, right? It just, yeah. It, it, it's good, but I would not trade it for a steak ever. I might have milk with the steak. Oh. Notice how he says, professing believers who stay on a milk diet. And, and there are plenty of churches that are on a milk diet. Professing believers who stay on a milk diet are unskilled in the word of righteousness. You ever talked with somebody? And this is not a slant on any church in our area or anybody else that you know. Everybody got that? Let's be clear. You've talked to a believer. You know they're a Christian for, I don't know, a gazillion years. Then you're talking, hey, we're going through the book of Revelation. Or, hey, we're, we just did this in Leviticus. And they're looking at you like a deer in the headlights. And you go, well, wait a minute. Haven't you been a believer for 20 years? Yeah, but I've never gone through that before. I never heard that before. Doesn't that blow you away? And you go, what are you doing? It's this passage right here. All they've been doing is had a steady dose of milk. They lose what they do not use. And they remain in a state of perpetual infancy. Isn't that heavy? And the writer goes, come on. I should be able to teach you some pretty good doctrine right now, but I can't. They don't have a, kin, a keen sense of discernment in spiritual matters. What's sad is they become tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, Ephesians 4 says. These are the Christians that read this book and this book, and then this book, and their whole life revolves around that rather than God's word. Again, babe here equals immaturity, not age. So when the writer says that they are a babe, he's calling them immature. So feeding on the milk, listen, feeding on the milk is good in the beginning, but not 5, 10, 15 years out. They should know better. They should know the word. But, verse 14, lastly, solid food belongs to those who are of full age, and the idea is of maturity. So we have the contrast between immaturity and maturity. And the writer says there is a contrast, and you can tell by what they eat, how they hear God's word how excited they are, and are they teaching others? That's a sign of maturity. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those by whose reason have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As we grow in the word, we learn to use it in daily life. As we apply the word, we exercise our spiritual senses. We have spiritual senses. We develop spiritual discernment as well. It is, a, listen, um, 
Will kids put anything in their mouth? Do they have good discernment? That's why you have to, you know. All right. Truth time. How many of you have ever put a leash on your kid? You ever see those at Disney? They're like, kids got the leash on? You're like, it's a human being, not a dog. Why do you do that? You got to, because you know that kid will gone in a moment. Every once in a while around here, and this is what I love about all of our young families, every once in a while some kid will make a break for it <laughs> and head for the front door. And we've got security there to stop them. But I love it. They don't, they'll make a break for it. You've got to watch them. They don't have good discernment, do they? They'll put anything in their mouth. They'll taste anything. They don't have the discernment that you and I have. They will drink poison, will they not? That's why as a young parent, you have those locks, you know, those finger locks that you, you put in. We still got them on. I don't know why. We can get rid of a couple of them, I think. Again, a babe will put anything into their mouth. An immature believer will listen to any preacher on the radio or on television or on YouTube, and they won't be able to identify whether or not that is really God's word or not. I can't tell you how many times I have people over the years come up to me and say, you got to read this book. And then I just briefly look into it and go, are you kidding me? You're suggesting that to me? It's the same thing. The ability to discern good and evil is a vital part of Christian maturity. The nation of Israel in Moses' day lacked the discernment and failed to claim its promised inheritance. And so the reader, the readers of this letter who are from that line are in the same dangerous place making that same mistake. It is impossible to stand still in the Christian life. We are either going forward and claiming God's blessing and promises or we're going backwards and wandering around aimlessly like the children of Israel did. Remember, by unbelief, they did not go into the promised land, and they had to, for 40 years, wander around. Again, a good old dead guy said it this way. He said, I once heard a preacher say, most Christians are betweeners. <laughs> and he asked him, he said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, they're between Egypt and Canaan. Out of a place of danger, but not yet in a place of rest and rich inheritance. He replied, they're between the Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Saved by the blood, but not enjoying the newness of the resurrection of life. Are you a betweener tonight? How do we then use and apply the word of God? What the writer says in these short, these four verses are very powerful. They are. Have you become dull? Have you stopped sharing? <laughs> Are you just happy to drink from the milk? Are you being challenged by God's word? Are you being challenged in your local church? I, I pose that to those who are listening to us across the country. Are you in a church tonight that doesn't encourage you and challenge you in your walk? 
and your reading of God's word? What are you feeding upon? Are you mature or are you just immature? And again, this isn't a message about, hey, I'm a new believer in the last year or two. You're not the people we're talking about. We're talking about people five, ten years into their walk. I didn't mean to be a bummer tonight, but everybody should be able to teach somebody else. Be it children's ministry and a women's ministry and a men's ministry. If um, <laughs> I know Ian... Uh, was up at the men's retreat last time, and he was asked to do a devotion. So was Sean. Um, It was wonderful that they were able to step up and do that. That's growth. I just robbed them of their crown, sorry. I'll give you some mine later. Wait, I might need mine. Never mind. It's, It's a growth of maturity. How willing are we to share with other people? How willing are we to say when someone says, hey, can you read the Bible or can you pray? Are, are we able to say, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to be afraid. Corporate prayer, which is coming up on Sunday, prayer and worship night. It's kind of funny to me to watch people. Like they'll come for the first time. They've never come to prayer or worship night. They don't know what's really going on. They think snakes are going to be involved somehow. Like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. And then they realize, hey, we're just praying and worshiping God. And then the next time they come, they do that prayer, but that prayer is like 10 seconds. They're happy they got that in. Then the next time they come, they start opening up more and more. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to watch people grow in their faith. It's wonderful for me to watch people grow in their faith, to see them excited about God's word. Listen, if you're over 50 today in this sanctuary, you should be very excited about the young families in this church. And what your role is in Titus 2 is to encourage these young families to continue (laughs) because it's tough to be a young family in the world in which we are living in to be bombarded with what they're being bombarded with, with government schools and social media and all of this stuff. That's the Titus 2. Are you that mature to be able to encourage somebody? I may not know a whole lot, but let me tell you what happened in my life. This is what God did for me. Well, read ahead next week because as we continue this theme, the writer is getting them back to the ABCs. He's going to encourage them into some basic theology. And then when we get to chapter 7, he will go back to the topic of the order of Melchizedek. So read ahead, Lord willing, next week, chapter 6 of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord, and for the writer Lord, I pray for anybody tonight, Lord, who is dull of hearing. Who, Lord, isn't reading the word like they used to. Isn't excited about the Bible like they used to be. They're not sharing their faith. They're not sharing with others what God has done in their life. Lord, let us be careful on what we feed. What is our diet? 
Our diet should be the Word of God, all of the Word of God, all 66 books. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to go through the Bible as a church, Lord, almost through three times. And so, Lord, as we journey on Sunday for the fourth time in Revelation, that your Spirit would give wisdom and understanding to the people. We thank you, Lord, for our time in Jesus' name. Amen.